Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 11, to grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Great story in 2 Kings, the king of Samaria, bad king. He sends for Elijah. He sent a captain and 50 men to go get Elijah. And so the captain and the 50 men, they show up and he says, Elijah, the king wants to see you. And Elijah says, really? And he calls down fire from heaven and consumes them all. Well, the king sends another captain and 50 men. And he comes to Elijah. He says, Elijah, the king wants to see you now. Elijah says, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me, baby? Come on. And then he calls down fire from heaven and consumes them all. And then the king sent another captain and 50 men. And this captain was smart. He comes to Elijah. He says, Elijah, prophet of God, man of God, the king wants to see you. Elijah, I'm a family man. I've got family and kids. Elijah, please, the king, would you just go see the king? Man, I don't want to die. I'm sure that's how it happened in the text. I'm pretty confident. And so Elijah said, okay, and he goes to see the king. But he called down fire. He had the power to call down fire from heaven. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us it is once appointed for men to die and then judgment. Everyone must die. It is appointed for men to die. Well, we know that Elijah never died. He was caught up in a fiery chariot. We know that. And then Malachi Chapter 4, if you're taking notes, write it down. Malachi chapter 4, if you're Italian, it's Malachi. (laughs) Malachi. Sorry. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, note this. Very interesting. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he, Elijah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth, notice, with a curse. God says through Malachi, I am going to send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, here is something very fascinating. I find fascinating. I think you will, too. The last word in the Old Testament is curse. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter, and the word curse in the Old Testament is the last word. So the last word in the Old Testament is curse. 
Why? Because the Old Testament and the law can only bring a curse because you can't keep it. And the last word in the New Testament is, guess what? Yeah, you got it. Grace. Revelation 22, verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The last word, I just think that's fascinating. It's kind of a God thing or Holy Spirit thing. The last word in the Old Testament is curse. And the, the, the last word in the New Testament under this area, this period of time that we live called grace is the word grace. Now, trek with me, if you will. Stay with me. Elijah still hasn't appeared. Malachi 4. Okay. He still hasn't appeared. Matthew chapter 17. The disciples and Jesus went down from the mountain and the disciples said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, how is it that the scribes are, are, are saying that before the Messiah comes, Elijah must appear, quoting Malachi 4. And Jesus said, Elijah has come and has done and you have done to him what you wished. And they thought Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, but he wasn't. Because in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 20, the Pharisees asked John the Baptist. They came up to him and said, are you Elijah? And John the Baptist said, I am not Elijah. So, what was Jesus talking about? I mean, John, by his own admission, admits that he is not Elijah then what does Jesus mean? Jesus is saying in Matthew 17 that John the Baptist came in the spirit, in the power, in the presence, in the ministry of Elijah, but he wasn't the person Elijah. So we have established the fact that Elijah still has not yet come. He will appear before the coming of the Lord. Very clear in scripture, the first witness here is Elijah. Then who is the second witness? Well, we honestly don't know. Some believe it to be Enoch because Enoch never died. And that's very possible. And some believe it could be Zerubbabel and Joshua from Zechariah chapter 4, the anointed ones. Some believe that, very possible. And still others, and I agree that this second witness is not Enoch. Not Zerubbabel and Joshua, but the second witness is Moses. I believe it's Moses. Again, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was on the mountain with the dynamic trio. Oh, you know them. Peter, James, and John. And there appeared two men, Elijah and Moses. Remember? Elijah representing the prophets and Moses representing the law. Now notice in verse 6 again, they have power over the waters. Did you see that? They have power over the waters to turn them to blood. Now remember Charlton Heston? What? Am I the only one? Every time I think of Moses, I think of Charlton Heston. Oh, you remember he turned the water to blood and brought plagues and diseases upon the land of Egypt. And then Jude, very fascinating. Jude tells us that God preserved Moses' body. 
So I think it's Moses and Elijah. I think the point is not necessarily who the two witnesses are. I mean, some people are like, oh, Rodney, I disagree with you, man. I think it's Zerubbabel and Joshua. I'm like, okay, fine. And we get to heaven, Elijah and Moses will tell you that I was right. <laughs> I have no problem. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think it's important, really. Honestly, quite honestly, I don't think it's important who they are. Because the point that I believe is, is what the Lord is trying to show us here is not necessarily who they are, but the fact that God is trying to make a statement that, that he always has a man. He has a witness. God preserves a witness. And notice what happens when they finish their testimony. Did you see that in verse 7? The beast descends out of the bottomless pit to make war with them. And because they have finished their ministry, they are killed. And their dead bodies lie in the streets of Jerusalem, which are spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Why Sodom? Because it's vile. And why Egypt? Because it's vain. It's the only city that God said, this is my city. The city of God, the city that Jesus cried over, is now linked to Sodom and Egypt and think about it, I most certainly think it's worth pointing out. These two witnesses were not killed until their ministry was finished. For three and a half years, these two witnesses were invincible. No one could touch them. The Antichrist couldn't kill them. Satan couldn't destroy them. And listen, Saint, listen, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, Satan can't touch you. Satan can't harm you until God is through with you. Satan can't touch you. You know, we spend so much time, you know, talking to Satan and praying to Satan, casting Satan someplace and giving him a black eye and kicking him in the knee. And, you know, and people get all into that. You know what I mean? And demon chasing, devil hunting and, you know, when in fact the scriptures are clear. These two witnesses could not be destroyed until the Lord was done with them. And you can't be destroyed. You cannot die unless God says so. You see, that's why I can fly on American Airlines after 911. Amen. <laughs> I took a trip. Well, last week, I think it was. And uh, I'm on American Airlines, you know, and... Uh, you know, you develop a prayer life when the plane starts taking off, you know what I mean? I mean, you really just kind of go into this lamenting and this prayer thing, you know? And for, depending on how long I fly, I mean, I, that's how long my, I get the serious, intense prayer life. I mean, I start speaking in tongues and everything as we're going, you know? And it's interesting how you get this prayer life. And then when you get to your location, man, you get off the plane after being in prayer all that time and you're glowing, you know? And you look like Jesus. And you want to play, God, please don't let this plane go down. With me on it, you know. Oh, but I need to know, and you need to know that Satan can't take your life. And not if you're a Christian. God knows the exact appointed time that he's done with you. And when he is, like these two witnesses, their ministry is finished, then the devil, the beast, was able to come forward and to wage war and to kill them. But then notice what happens in verse 9. Then those from the peoples, the tribes, the tongues, the nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days 
and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. Then that's interesting, especially if you're Jewish. Very interesting. These witnesses are dead three and a half days and people shall see it and not bury them. I mean, think about it. Three and a half days, rigor mortis starts setting in, you know, decay, flies, death. It's horrible. I'm not trying to be graphic and I'm not trying to, to, to be dramatic, but I'm, I'm just trying to paint the picture here. This is three and a half days of dead bodies laying in the street and people won't want to bury their bodies. And note this, according to our text, the whole world shall see it. Now, hundred, for hundreds of years, and even within the last hundred years, scholars did not necessarily understand this verse. I have a commentary that's about, it's very, very old. And I looked in it concerning what they would say about verse 9. And they really don't understand how shall all the peoples of the nation see their dead bodies? How these two witnesses are going to be able to be seen by the whole wide world? And then enter CNN and MSNBC. And Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw and 2020 and Diane Sawyer. And now this is a piece of cake. I was just looking at Newsweek magazine last week, right on the arm. Opened it up. I was on the bike at the treadmill or on the, on the bike at the gym. And, and uh, opened up the article and there it is right there. MSNBC covering the world. How is all the world going to see these two Witnesses, it is a piece of cake. As a matter of fact, what goes on in Jerusalem today can be seen by us as it is going on in Jerusalem. That's pretty fascinating. Everyone will see it. Now, here's a little inside info for these TV news networks. When these guys are killed, a little inside here. When these guys are killed and they're lying in the streets, don't take your cameras off of them. Leave the camera crew in place because the story isn't over. Notice in verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. We're back. <laughs> and great fear fell on all those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. See that snatching away the rapture again. Come up here, guys. And they ascend to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake in verse 13 and the tent of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming Quickly, this is amazing, you guys. It's Happy Dead Prophets Day. It's it's like a second Christmas. I mean, these guys, the people of the earth, are rejoicing over the fact that these guys are dead. They're making merry. They're sending gifts because these two witnesses tormented the people of the earth. These people are glad they are dead because these two witnesses preached the gospel and convicted their hearts. This is the only time rejoicing is mentioned during the tribulation. But after the three and a half days, notice the breath of life from God comes in them and they stood on their feet and they went up to heaven. And in the same hour, a tenth of Jerusalem, notice it says an earthquake killed 7,000 people. 
important people, actually, is what that reads. Many believe that these are the 7,000 important people who rallied around the Antichrist during the tribulation. Very interesting. 7,000 important people die. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Now notice beginning in verse 15, we have the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Notice in verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces, and they worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come, because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. Now, I want to bring your attention quickly to verse 15. The seven trumpet sounds and notice the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And I think Handel would add to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let me just tell you something real quickly here. In Bible study, in Bible study, We call this phrase, the kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. We call this phrase in Bible study a proleptic statement. A proleptic statement, P-R-O-L-E-P-T-I-C. A proleptic statement. Proleptic says something is going to happen that is so certain that we will speak of it as though it already happened. Proleptic says something is going to happen and it is so certain that we can speak of it as though it is already happened. For example, Isaiah 53. Oh, you're familiar with it. He was wounded for our transgressions. He who? Who? Was bruised for our iniquities. We're talking about Jesus. Yet that hadn't happened when Isaiah penned those words. And it wasn't going to happen for another 700 years. But Isaiah speaks of that. Isaiah prophesies that it's going to happen. And he is so certain that he can speak of it as though it has already happened. Romans chapter 8, another great example. The Bible says, if you're a Christian, we are glorified. We, in heaven, we are glorified. Now, we don't look very glorified here, do we? No. I don't look very glorified, you know, because we're not here. But the Bible speaks of that glorification of the saints as it is so certain that it is going to happen. It has happened in heaven. That's a proleptic statement. So the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. John says the kingdom of Satan is become the kingdom of God. Very interesting. Already happened. Done deal. Notice in verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and shall destroy those who destroy the earth. And then in verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen. In his temple. And there was lightnings and noises and thunders and earthquake and great hail. 
Notice the nations are angry and upset and they can't believe what has happened. The earth is shaking and instead of repenting, they're angry. And those who corrupt and pollute the earth are destroyed. And then the temple was open and the Ark of the Covenant was seen. Now, you guys, when I read this this week, it totally messed it up for me. I just knew that Indiana Jones found the Ark of the Covenant, man. I'm telling you, it just totally messed up my whole deal on Harrison Ford and fighting the Ark of the Covenant. And there are people, even today, who believe they know where the Ark of the Covenant is. And they write books about it, and people buy the books. Well, we know where the Ark of the Covenant is because the Bible tells us right here, the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple of our God. That is where it is seen, in the temple of God in heaven. This chapter begins with the temple on earth, and it ends with the temple of God in heaven. Oh, it's so very important for that person to turn that phone off. That's so important. Now, could you? Yes. Great. 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 So important to be a witness. Amen. So important to be a witness. You know, I was at Transworld Radio today, or I actually last week, telling them today. And uh, it's amazing that ministry and what they're doing there. And they took me around the headquarters. It's right here in Cary. And uh, it's huge. It's beautiful. And they took me to their, their, their big wall, and they show how they're able to cover so many countries with the Bible teaching and J. Vernon McGee. Is on. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. He's on. And it was so good to just kind of walk around, see the witness of radio and how many people it's reaching. And one of the guys who was showing me around, he attends this fellowship. He was uh, uh, telling me that, um, you know, in, in India, in India, in Muslim countries, women are taught that they are owned by men. Their husbands are their owners. And it's despicable and disgraceful to be a woman in that culture. Have you noticed how they wear the all black? And then even they might just have a bit of their eyes showing. And then they have a net that is pulled over their eyes. And, 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 and the man will be walking by. And the man will have on this, this cotton or this linen, this very cool, cool fabric. But the woman has on this heavy black material. And so women are put down in that culture. And even in, in many Muslim countries, they, they teach women that, that hopefully, prayerfully, after maybe 13 billion times of being reincarnated, that they will come back as a man. This is what they teach them. And then in Africa, we have genital, what do they call it? Mutilation. Why? Because the women don't want to have a girl, a female child, and bring her into this world. It's so important that we be a witness. Well, you say to me, Rodney, listen, I, I can't go to Africa, and I can't go to many of the Muslim countries. I, I can't go to these places. Well, let me ask you, can you go across the street? Can you tell your neighbor about Jesus? Or maybe the women in India are covered in black with material, but your neighbor's mind is covered in black and their heart is covered in black. 
and they are equally in spiritual darkness. Can you go across the street and be a witness? Can you go to the person in the office right next door to you at your workplace and be a witness? Or what about at school? How about the guy right there in the desk right next to you or out there while you're rollerblading or skating or whatever it is, playing ball or whatever? Can you be a witness? You know this word witness in the Greek language is martis, and we have the word, you guessed it, martyr. We're all called to be martyrs for Jesus Christ. We are all called to be a witness. And I really believe in spiritual application that if we would be witnesses, yes, the world's going to hate you. Yes, they're going to want to kill you because you're preaching the gospel. But when your ministry is finished, God will breathe the breath of life in you and God will revive you. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.